We started a series last Sunday entitled The Kingdom. And uh, when you think about the kingdom, it means the reign and rule of God in our lives and the reign and rule of God in the world. We are focusing on the book of Matthew, and then we're going to cover, finish up uh, the first few chapters, and then we're going to hit the Sermon on the Mount in the next few weeks, and it's just going to build off of this kingdom theme. So we think about the kingdom of God, or in the book of Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven means the same thing. I want you to get a good foundational understanding as to what we're talking about. There's a past, present, and future dimension to the kingdom of God. Let's look at the past. The past is Jesus Christ initiated this kingdom of God. As he came, he preached, he taught, he went to a cross, and he died on a cross for our sins. And when they took his body from the cross, they buried him in a tomb, and then three days later, he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he proved that he had overcome sin, overcome death, and provided salvation for everyone who would receive him. And so from the past, it was Jesus, the king, is, is entering into the kingdom of, of God, okay? He's bringing it on. Then you look at the present, where we are today. Well, how does that affect me today? Well, that same Jesus wants to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. And so every one of us has that opportunity to ask him to come into our lives. And when we do that, we become adopted in the family of God. We become a child of God. And then our desire, his desire, is that he would reign and rule in your life. He would have first place in your life. That's when you talk about the kingdom of God, that he would have first place in your life. But then there's a future dimension. And the future dimension is that the Bible says that there will come a consummation of the age in which Jesus will come back, and when he comes back, there will become a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the kingdom of God consummated. And so we've got the past, the present, and the future. But as we're looking in the book of Matthew, we're looking at the past, and we're looking at how Jesus begins to introduce this kingdom of God. And today we want to talk about the initiation of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and it's all about the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you a picture of a clock. Now, if we show a picture of a clock, does anybody know what that clock is? Man, that's bad. Somebody's got to tell me. What is that clock? Do what? Is that NASA? The NASA Space Center. This is a clock that, if you put through the second picture on there, it may even be clear. Oh, yeah. The NASA Space Center countdown clock. You know, if you were ever brought up where you watched all the space shuttles take off and the Apollo uh, missions and things, you were familiar with this countdown clock. Because what that countdown clock would do is it would give you the countdown to ignition and liftoff. And in 1969, they built this and they set it up for the Apollo 12 mission. Apollo 12 was the second manned uh, mission to the moon. And so they had this big clock there. And when you would watch it on TV, they'd every so often show a shot and you would see it start counting down. And it would start at T-minus 43 hours and counting. And when it hit 43 hours before launch, that thing starts counting down. And then throughout the count, they would have certain times that they would put a hold. They go T-minus 27 hours and holding. 
and they would do some things. Then they come back and say, T minus 27 hours and counting. They did it for 19. They did it for 11. They did it for six. They got all the way down to three hours holding and counting until finally they get down to 20 minutes. And they go, T minus 20 minutes and holding? And they do a bunch of stuff. And then they say, T minus 20 minutes and counting. And you show that clock and it'll start ticking down, getting closer and closer. And it'll go all the way down to nine minutes. And when it hits nine minutes, it says T minus nine minutes and holding. And at that point, the people in command center pull everyone around them and says, is it go or no go? We got to make the call. How's the weather look? How's everything looking? Are we okay? Is it a go? If it's a go, start the clock again. Now it's T minus nine minutes and counting. And it continues to go down and down until you get to T minus 31 seconds. When you get to 31 seconds, there's an automatic launch sequence that kicks in and it begins to do and continue the countdown. And then usually there's uh, the guy from command center and he gets it to 10 seconds and he starts counting down. We got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. There's <laughs> all this sound. People are cheering and you're watching as it takes up and then it heads on. And it is the initiation, the launch of the next Apollo mission. Well, I want to tell you, there was a time when there was a countdown clock in heaven that started to turn on and say, we're getting ready to start the launch sequence to initiate the kingdom of God. And it happened in the passage we're looking at today. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Now, in order to launch something, you got to make sure everything is just right. And this was the perfect time. John the Baptist, we talked about him last week. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He is preaching about repentance. He's asking people to come and to be baptized. People are turning their hearts to God, and it's just the right time for Jesus to come onto the scene. And so you come in verse 13, it says, and then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. When you read those words, Jesus going from Galilee down to Jordan, to be baptized by John, someone up in heaven said, T minus whatever, started clicking, and the clock started ticking. And we're going to look at that, how Jesus initiated the kingdom of God. All right? This is what he did. First thing, intentionally pursuing baptism. Intentionally pursuing baptism. In verse 13, when it says, he came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John to be baptized by him, you need to understand that the Jordan where they're baptizing is 80 miles south of Galilee. 80 miles south. So what's Montgomery? About 80 miles or so from Birmingham? So it was like you would walk from Birmingham to Montgomery. So what Jesus did was he intentionally walked from Galilee 80 miles all the way down to the Jordan for one purpose, and that is to be baptized. It was not like Jesus was just happened to be in the area and he thought he'd take one of these revival meetings that John the Baptist was leading and he got wrapped up in the emotion and said, baptize me, baptize me. Why not? It was intentional. It was intentional. 
And as we come to the end of the message, you'll see how important it was that it was intentional that he took this step. So what Jesus does was he made a choice to go and to begin to initiate the work of the kingdom. Jesus was not a programmed robot that that you may look at and say, when God sent his son, he put a, a computer program in him and he was supposed to do these things, go to the cross, die and be raised from the dead. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son. And when he sent his son, his son had a choice. He could either follow God's plan or not follow God's plan. And so when he starts at about age 30, which is when most rabbis begin their ministry, you have to be age 30. Most believe it. when he was age 30, he made the decision. He was intentionally going to head down and was going to pursue baptism. Now, naturally, our big question is, John the Baptist is baptizing people for repentance of sin. Everybody that comes to him is a sinner, and they say, I want to confess my sins. I want to be baptized for repentance and forgiveness of sin. So why would Jesus need to be baptized since he never sinned? He was sinless. Well, that's where the second point comes, and that is identification with sinners. Identification with sinners. The way that Jesus initiates the kingdom of God is he intentionally pursues baptism, and he identifies with sinners. Jesus voluntarily stood, chose to stand in solidarity with the sinners. He comes down and he's standing in line. There's a sinner in front of him. There's a sinner behind him. And there are men, there are women that have been struggling with things in their lives and they want to be cleansed by God. There's want to be a time of repentance and they're standing there for John the Baptist to baptize them. And yet Jesus stands right in the same line with them because he chose to stand with the same people that he came to save. So the sinless one put himself alongside the sinful one. And through his baptism, he demonstrates his willingness to take on the servant role and to identify with the same people with whose sins he came to take away and to usher in this kingdom of God. And what you begin to see is is a little bit about Jesus' ministry. He is not some God who stands up over here and just looks down on his people. He is one who gets among the people. And so he stood in line with them. He was sinless, but he wanted to identify with those who were sinners. And as he identifies with them, he's knowing that one day he is going to die, be raised from the dead, and be able to take away their sin. He identified with sinners. But then the third was the fulfillment of righteousness. The fulfillment of righteousness. He intentionally came down to be baptized. He identified with sinners, and then he was to do the fulfillment of righteousness. Look in their scripture. It says in verse 14 that John would have prevented him from being baptized, okay? Saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the exchange between John the Baptist and Jesus is a clear indication of Jesus' sinlessness and John's own sin in his own life. Just think, they're going through line and he's got, hey, he's got brother Joshua over here and, and he's coming, he's confessing his sins and he's baptized and he puts him in the river. And then he's got Simeon, brother Simeon's over here and he's, he's wanting his life to be changed. He baptizes him. And then he looks up and here's Jesus. Okay, now does he know Jesus? Well, 
they're cousins. If, if you understand uh, his mom and their moms are, are, are related. And so they're cousins. And so he'd heard about Jesus and who know if they'd ever had any interaction or not. But when he looked at him, he could see in his face, he could see the righteousness in, in Jesus. Now, when you look at the book of John, it says that he really didn't know he was the Messiah until after he was baptized and he heard the voice from heaven and then he knew. So, so whether he either knew or he didn't, he knew that he was a righteous person. And when he looked into his face, which was different than any other person that he looked at, as soon as he saw him, he was emphatic where he says, hey, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. I mean, there's sin in my life. There's none in your life. You should baptize me. But then Jesus comes back and makes a statement in verse 15 that if you read 10 commentaries, you'll get 10 explanations. Nobody knows. I don't know. I mean, I've read commentary after commentary, and everyone's got something different. Let me just look at it. Let it be so now. This is Jesus. Let it be so now. So what he's telling him is he says, I'm not disagreeing with you, John. I am righteous. You do have sin in your life. But let it be so now. For this time, you need to baptize me, okay? For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what, what does that, that mean? Well, let me give you the best shot. Righteousness comes from being totally obedient to God. And so being baptized is what Jesus was to do to meet all the moral demands of God. And so to fulfill all righteousness, I want to do everything that my father has asked me to do. And it also relates to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. Isaiah 53 is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus called the suffering servant. And look what it says in 53:11. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, Jesus, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. See, Jesus is the righteous one, and through his death, he can put our sins away, he can build the kingdom of God, and so he can fulfill all righteousness, and then whenever we make a decision for Christ, guess what happens? We have the righteousness of Christ. God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ because he sees us through the blood of Christ, because he's died for our sins. And so in the midst of all of this, Jesus is saying, we need to fulfill righteousness. And so John consented. And he says, okay, I will baptize you. And then that's where the fourth point is, and that is the anticipation of his death, burial, and resurrection. The anticipation of his death, burial, and resurrection. As he comes into the water, and he stands there, and John baptizes him, he takes him under the water, and then he lifts him back up. And it's a picture of the fact, just as you saw with five that was baptized here, it represents his death and his burial and then his resurrection. And then when he walks out of the water, it represents him ascending to heaven or for us, a new life in Christ. And so by Jesus going and to be baptized, it's anticipation of what was going to happen. You see, at the very first thing that we read in Jesus' adult life, it is that he is baptized. And by him being baptized, he's already telling us, you know what my life is about, what my mission is? It is to go to the cross and die. And through that baptism, 
And he, he, equated that, he equated the term baptism with what was going to happen to him. Luke chapter 12, verse 50, talking to his disciples, this is what he says. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And that is death. He says, I'm going to the cross, and that is my baptism. Baptism in death, and then raised to walk in a new life. When Jesus stood in those baptism waters, he stood for each one of us, just as he went to the cross and he died for each one of us. But then he emerged out of the waters as a picture and a prophecy of the resurrection. And the apostle Paul equates this to our baptism. Romans chapter six, verses three through four. He says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So for these five that were baptized here, that's exactly what happened to them. They were baptized into the death of Christ, raised to walk in a newness of life, even as Christ died on the cross, was buried, and then was raised again. It was an anticipation of what was getting ready to happen. Now, one of the most amazing things happened, and we've never seen this happen in any of our baptisms, is that in verse 16 and 17, God the Father speaks. It says in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Now, the book of Mark talks about this same event and it uses a real descriptive word. It means like the heavens were ripped open. It was like something severe. They just ripped open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. So at the baptism, the heavens open up, Spirit rests on him like a dove, and then God the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The statement that he made he takes two different Old Testament messianic references, Psalm 2-7. And when he talks about here, this is my beloved son, is taken from Psalm 2-7. And then he says, in whom I am well pleased. And that is Isaiah 42-1, which is another messianic uh, description of the suffering servant. And look what it says in 42-1. It says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So it is a, um, a fulfillment of the prophecy of what Isaiah said. And the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, there's only one other time when he made that statement, and that was in the Mount of Transfiguration when there was Jesus and there was Moses and Elijah together up there. So here's my question. Why this time? Why this time? What about um, after feeding the 5,000? That was an incredible miracle. You didn't see God speaking up and saying, hey, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. After he healed a bunch of people, he, he didn't, didn't do that. Or when he walked on water, he didn't come up and say, hey, my son's good. You see that, what he did there? Or how about the Sermon on the Mount, which we're getting ready to study? That when the end of that Sermon on the Mount, which some say is the greatest sermon ever preached, did not God stand up and applaud and say, hey, this was good stuff. You guys need to write this down. He didn't say it, but he did on this one. So why on this one? Why at this particular time, when he came out of the water of baptism, did God decide to say, 
this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Let me give you a shot at it. Jesus, living a normal life for his first 30 years. He's got a mom and a dad. He's a carpenter by trade. He's there in Nazareth and up in that Galilee region. He's just walking through life. He's just doing life like we do. He's got some friends. They hang out. He works hard. He's attended some of his friends' weddings. He's attended some people's funerals. He's rejoiced when some babies have been born, and he, he's enjoyed that. He's enjoyed just hanging out with people. He, in his work and things he has to do, he probably gets a little nerves, get a little stre- uh, um, kind of uh, stretched a little bit with some of the people's attitudes and actions, just like, just like we do. And he has his frustrations, but yet in the midst of all of this, he never sins. But he's just living life like all of us would live life. And then when he got to age 30, when it was his time to initiate his ministry, he had to make a choice. Just going to hang out here in Nazareth and uh, keep doing carpenter work. Business is going pretty good. Or do I do what God has called me to do? And so he intentionally walks 80 miles from Galilee all the way down to Jordan, to the Jordan River. And standing in line with a bunch of stinky, smelly sinners. And he's in line with these people. And all of a sudden, it's his time to get in the water. And one sinner has just left the water. There's one standing behind him ready to be baptized. And he's standing in, stepping into the dirty waters of the Jordan River to be baptized. And he understands fully that his call is that he would go to the cross. And anytime you study scripture, you always want to be thinking about the cross because Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And as he was there in that water and went under the water and came back up, he knew what that meant. He knew that this was the initiation of his ministry. He knew that it was going to take him to the cross. And he knew he was going to have to suffer that agony and that pain for all of our sins so that we could have salvation. He knew that. And when he did that, made that choice, went under the water, came up out of the water, God in heaven said, yes, yes, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because you see, he just set his face towards the cross. He made that official launch. And I can almost see the uh, angels in heaven looking at the countdown clock as he stands in the water. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Lift off. Boom. We're starting it, baby. This is it. This is the beginning. And now he begins like a three-year journey of teaching showing us who God is, expressing God's love, teaching us how to live as kingdom citizens to make his way all the way to the cross. This is when it started. Now, see, that to me is pretty exciting. But as I thought about this, there's two things I want you to take with you today that relate to where we are right now that I saw in this passage. Okay, we said that the kingdom of God means the reign and rule of God in our lives, right? So that means that he is Lord over our lives. Let me give you two principles right out of this passage on reign and rule of God. Number one, Jesus initiates the kingdom of God 
but has chosen to use us to advance the kingdom of God. And I want you to write this down, and then I want you to drill it into your mind and into your heart. And every time you read about the baptism of Jesus, I want you to rejoice over what he's done, but I want you to look at the challenge for us. He initiates the kingdom of God, but has chosen us to use us to advance the kingdom of God. I go back to verse 15. John the Baptist is looking at Jesus in the face, and he says, hey, you're righteous, I'm not. You should baptize me. And Jesus responds with this statement. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say John the Baptist really didn't understand what he said. We've had people that have studied this for ages and haven't quite fully grasped all that it means. But what I do think that John the Baptist picked up on was two words, now and us. He says right here, let it be so now, right now. This is it. So John, I'm asking you to do something right now, okay? And then he says this, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Oh my gosh, pick up on that. For us to fulfill all righteousness. The son of God is looking at this man, John the Baptist, and he says, I need you, man. For us to fulfill all righteousness, it's you and me. I cannot baptize myself. I need you to baptize me, okay? You're a part of this. We're gonna work this together. And when we work this together, it is to fulfill all righteousness. And the only way this thing's going to happen, John, is for you to baptize me. And once that happens, we're going to initiate the kingdom of God. And God is going to be glorified and the kingdom of God is going to be advanced. I just want to tell you, at the outset of his ministry, Jesus already set up his methodology and his philosophy for kingdom advancement. And that is to use you and me to advance it. We are not in this world to be created in this world just to come here, live, enjoy the things of this world, live ever how many years and die and then just go on to eternity. God says there's a purpose for our lives and he said, if you become a part of my family and you get adopted into God's family, he says, man, we've got to work together. We've got a responsibility to advance the kingdom. That's why in Acts 1-8, he told us he got ready to ascend to heaven. He says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He says, you are balls in your court. Now, my Holy Spirit's going to be there. It's going to surround you and guide you and strengthen you, but you got to get out and do something. And the very first act coming for baptism, he says, hey, John, hey, man, I need you. We gotta, we gotta do this together. And what Christ does is Christ comes to work with us to bring glory to God and to advance the kingdom of God. This means that God's got a purpose for each one of us, folks. That's pretty exciting news. He don't want to do it by himself. He's chosen to use each one of us to advance his kingdom. So what is it that God's called you to do? What is your purpose that God has for you? You see, when I began to look at that, I say, well, that's more than me just going to school and trying to make good grades. That's more than me going just punch the clock and see if I can make it Monday through Friday. That's more than me just closing a sales deal. I mean, this is bigger. 
God says, I've got a purpose. I want to advance my kingdom. And the only way I'm going to do that is I need your help. And I want you and you and you and you and even the choir to, uh, to do this. Amen? And so this is the way God set it. This is the way Jesus has set it up. It's incredible. Let me tell you the last thing. The very last thing, if you want to see the reign and rule of God in your heart, you need to move from prevent to consent. Move from prevent to consent. Look what this says. Verse 14. John would have prevented him. Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. John would have prevented him. He said, no way. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. He says he would have prevented him. But then when Jesus explained what it was, the very end of verse 15, he says, then he consented. He started out preventing, and then he ended up consenting. Now, let me just be real straight with you. When John the Baptist told Jesus, hey, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. He was correct. Jesus was righteous. John was a sinner. Jesus was the perfect sinless one. So what he said was logically correct, but it's not what Jesus wanted. And so what Jesus said is, hey, logically that makes sense, but that's not the way we're working on this one. In order to fulfill all righteousness, I need you to baptize me. And I need you to get away from preventing, and I want you to get to consenting. And what this helps us to see is that God will ask us to do things that logically on the surface do not make sense. You ever seen that in your life? Logically, they don't make sense. And God asks us to do these things because he's going to get the honor and the glory out of it. And too often as we live, walk through life, we see things that God may want us to do, but logically it doesn't make sense. And so we say, no, I'm not going to do that. Prevent, prevent. And what God says is, I want you to consent on this. You know, it's, it's crazy when God's word, when he says, I want you to give. And as you give, I'm going to bless you with more. Oh, no, Lord, I just, you know, I just, I just don't know. I don't want to part with, with my stuff. He says, oh, no, you give it to me and you'll be honored. You'll be blessed. And he says, the ones that is the less will be the greater. The one that serves will be the greater. Oh, gosh, Lord, I don't think I don't want to serve these people over here. He says, hey, if you become a servant, you'll become greater. That doesn't make sense, God. It's the way the kingdom works. And he said, but as long as you keep preventing me, you're going to miss out. He said, I'm ready for you to do consent. You see, there's some of you right here who've got talents and skills that you're either working in a business or in some type of profession that God is honoring and you're enjoying it. But you know what God is saying? He's saying, I don't want you to give up those skills that you've got. I just think you need to use them someplace else. I think there's some opportunities for you to go international and go into areas where they're unreached people. And they're looking for doctors or lawyers or accountants or whatever that can come and that could work over there. And why don't you take those same skills and leave the comforts of Vestavia and Hoover and over the mountain? And why don't you go and use those skills over here in another country to where you will have a platform and be able to share the gospel through your actions and through your business? Maybe that's what God wants to do. 
And so you say, well, that just doesn't seem logical. Oh, but it's a kingdom mindset. Because, see, God is more concerned with reaching the world to know who Jesus is than he is for you and me to be comfortable, to make a comfortable living so we can just settle in and hunker down and have enough money. See, he's wanting us. He wants to get the gospel out. And so there are a number of us today that it could be that you have gone to school, you've prepared yourself, and you say, God, I'm doing exactly what I think you've created me for. And God may be coming up to you and say, yes, you are doing exactly what I've created you for. You're just not doing it where I want you to. And now that you've got this training, I've got a place over here to where you can be used in an amazing way of ministry. We just got to open our minds because God is going to ask us some things that will seem to be illogical. But as we continue to pray about those things, then all of a sudden the prevent becomes consent. And I know you've heard it before. There are two words that do not go together. No, Lord. That's impossible. He's not Lord if you tell him no. It needs to be yes, Lord. The initiation of the kingdom. Man, as soon as he came out of those baptismal waters... Launch, boom, kingdom's moving forward. And guess what? God is coming to every one of us and saying, I want to use you. I want you to be there to advance the kingdom. And you know what will happen? Is whenever you open up your heart and you say, I want the reign and rule of God to come into my life. When you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be energized. Other people are going to be sanctified and justified. Satan's going to be marginalized. Jesus is going to be magnified and God's going to be glorified because of what you just opened up to do. May today be the day that you tell God, prevent is pushed off to the side. Consent is there. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your challenge. And may we, Lord, be a people that will always be open to whatever it is you lead us to do. And Father, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God in our lives. Wow, how exciting is that? And it's my prayer, Father, that there are people here today who don't even know you as Savior have no idea what they're missing out on, that today could be a day to where they make that decision and say, man, I want to ask Christ to come into my heart. I want to be ruled and reigned by him. I want to serve him for the advancement of the kingdom. I pray that would happen today. And Lord, I pray for those who know him and they know you well. But yet, Lord, there are areas in their life to where they know they've got the prevent sign that they've put up. And I pray that you'll speak to their heart and say, just take that sign down in consent. Follow me in the paths that I lead you. Lord, may that be our prayer tonight, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.